Welcome to The Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride from our studios overlooking the most beautiful city in the galaxy. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, and today I'm positively enraptured to announce that our guest is none other than Vinny Ang, an LGBTQ community organizer, co-founder of the COVID-era relief nonprofit SF New Deal, and an award-winning sommelier. Vinny, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Peter Astrid, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Look, I remember the first few times I ever heard your name several years ago was when I was covering restaurants for SF Weekly. You were, at the time, the GM and wine director at Tartine, and later among Food & Wine's Best Somalias of 2019. But then you did something that I can only imagine must have been as terrifying as it was rewarding. You left to become an organizer. Give our listeners a little background on what you've been working on since that abrupt shift. Oh, thank you so much. Um, those were the days, huh? I was the wine director and general manager at Bar Tartine on Valencia Street. The Lexington was still operating. And, um, you know, after a dozen years in the, the food industry, you sort of, you, you, you become aware of some larger structural issues that... Um, and I, I made some really deep and lasting relationships with people in the criminal justice reform community and decided to exit the stage and to really try my hand at organizing the community to make um, a safer, more um, dignified space for people to live in here in San Francisco. Where would you say is the biggest intersection in your work with LGBTQ culture or queer politics? I think it's um, advancing dignity and, and really building communities in a way where people have access to their essential needs, um, food, healthcare, housing, um, and really um, investing in opportunities for people to have an equitable existence. Love it. You know, I remember listening to you on the Table Hopper podcast in October, speaking to Marcia Gagliardi about food insecurity in San Francisco. And now it's March. We're entering a sort of nebulous phase of the pandemic with vaccinations up and the city just having begun to reopen indoor dining. But hunger remains rampant in San Francisco and the need for emergency relief has not abated in the slightest. Yet it looks like SF New Deal is actually taking on an even larger role, not merely to help feed people, but also get restaurant workers, many of them non-English speaking, vaccinated. That's right. I think, you know, when COVID set in a year ago this month, um, every organization became a feeding organization because that the immediacy of, of knowing where your next meal was coming from hit everyone with the mass layoffs um, and with the confusion around having to shelter in place. Um, but what we've learned through SF New Deal, you know, in the year that we've existed is that um, community organizations provide so much more than just food during COVID. They provide safety and comfort, um, and they provide m meaningful and, and, and really um, important access to other resources. Um, so what we found at SF New Deal, working with over 170 different restaurant partners is uh, a lot of their workers need access to understand what other social insurance programs um, are available to them or are not available to them. 
and where there are gaps where the government is not supporting these workers, we as community organizations and community organizers have to come in and fill those gaps. And so knowing that the vaccine rollout was reliant on, you know, website registration and, and appointments done through web browsers, we made, we worked in coalition with um, Unidos en Salud, which is a, a, a coalition of mission-based organizations, including Calle 24 and the Latino Task Force, to make sure that uh, monolingual non-English-speaking restaurant workers um, had another way to make appointments. And so we submitted a list of over 750 employees uh, two weeks before Tier 1B was eligible for vaccinations just to get the process started so that these uh, restaurant workers who may not have the luxury of working remotely, working in front of a computer, um, could be notified when it was their turn to get vaccinated. And among those 750, do you know if many of them have gotten their, you know, Fauci ouchies yet? Their Fauci ouchies. You know, um, <laughs> the, the community site that we're working on, they have a capacity to deliver about 300 vaccines a day. Um, so they're working through quite a long list. I do know that um, a number of individuals we've submitted have been notified by text so they can make appointments this month. Um, what we are encouraging everyone that's eligible for a vaccination to do is to consult um, many resources, whether it's through a Walgreens, a CVS, um, through the Unidos and Salud Coalition, through the Moscone Center. Um, there are a number of ways that you can either make appointments or walk up and get vaccinated. Everyone that's eligible to be vaccinated should, should receive their vaccination from the first available um, resource. And so what, what, what we're hoping for is that everyone gets them uh, pricked by Vouchy uh, as, as soon as they are comfortable uh, uh, um, doing so. <laughs> this group of 170 restaurants that you're working with, is this a, a rough cross-section of the San Francisco dining ecosystem? Is it you know from mom and pop places up toward places that employ like, you know, dozens or maybe a hundred people? Uh, thank you for that. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to say that SF New Deal has restaurants all over San Francisco in all 11 districts of San Francisco. Um, a lot of our, our restaurants are concentrated on the eastern side of the city where, um, you know, in neighborhoods where, that people often associate with, with sort of being dining corridors, Chinatown, the Mission, um, Bernal, um, Really proud to also um, share with your listeners that over 65% of our, our operators identify as female or um, BIPOC or LGBTQ. And so we've, we've really done a lot of outreach to make sure that we are reaching the, 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 the smallest businesses, especially those who may not have had access to federal PPP loan programs. And we do work with a number of different organizations like Gaia 24 and the Chinatown Community Development Center to identify um, these legacy businesses that are part of the fabric of San Francisco, the, the legacy of, of diversity of San Francisco that may not be part of the same sort of um, network of, of, of the top tier restaurants that, that get featured on Eater. Um, it's really important to SF New Deal that we're reaching as many, um, as, as broadly and as widely as possible. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think you're being a little bit modest, maybe, especially because even after the city has made a concerted effort to equalize these racial disparities in who's contracting coronavirus, who's getting sickest, who has the least access to testing and vaccines, you know, the Latinx community comprises only 15% of the city's population. But even still, after all these efforts, there's still 45% of the caseloads, I think I read in Mission Local today. And, you know, without work, like what SF New Deal is doing, these disparities might be even higher. So this is really just incredible work. Well, thank you so much. And and the credit really does go to the community members that live um, in these areas where the disparities are highest um, among African-Americans, among the Latino populations, among women. Um, it's really important to acknowledge that SF New Deal exists to lift up the work of other organizations. We, we are catalysts in connecting resources to needs, um, especially in the restaurant industry, which is, you know, so beloved by so many in our, in our community, just as a gathering space that um, we acknowledge that over 20% of restaurant workers are undocumented. Over 70% of California farm labor is undocumented. So we really need to remind each other of who makes it possible for us to eat, that it's so important to acknowledge that the essential workers that that allow us to shelter in place safely are treated essentially. We are advocating for increased resources to the immigrant community, and we're advocating for expedited pathways for essential undocumented immigrants to become naturalized and to become citizens. They make it possible for our our queer communities to feel safe. They make it, make, make it possible for our queer communities to have workspaces where they can find jobs. Um, that we're all connected. And it's important to realize that what COVID has taught us is that we are stronger when we work in support of uh, the benefit of the collective well-being of our communities. That is really well said. And again, I just want to emphasize that you put a very promising career in wine on hold, maybe forever, to start doing this kind of work instead. And I just think that's remarkable. So thank you. Um, and you know, Brokaw Stewart wrote in his examiner column last week that he's feeling optimistic about the future of San Francisco for the first time in a long time. Everyone who's still here is here because they want to be, is what he pointed out. And he went on to call that state of affairs exhilarating. I think there's a lot of truth to this. And I know that I've definitely been less rage-filled and more productive since January 20th. Does Stewart's reading of the zeitgeist resonate with you? I, I Absolutely. I think Stewart really touches the pulse of, of, of a, um, a deep, established... Uh, um, devotion to this city. There are so many individuals that have endured the last 12 months of COVID and have made a specific choice not to leave San Francisco, not to leave the Bay Area, and to really ride this out, but not just ride this out because um, they love the city, but they ride this out because they love the people of the city. And whether those people are unhoused or housed, whether they're queer or straight, whether they're black, brown, yellow, or rainbow, I think what, what Stewart's really touched into is that, like, you know, the people who show up for you during crisis are the people you want to continue to, to love when times are flush and when, when we feel uh, jubilant. And I think the feeling that Stewart's referring to is this feeling that, you know, we doubled down when we were staring into the barrel of COVID 
And, and, you know, after the inauguration of a new federal administration, where we've seen an increased effort uh, of coordination at the federal and state and local level, thanks to additional resources and additional competency of our leaders, that's really important, right? Like, for so long, a lot of the misinformation around COVID was driven by uh, uh, an effort to, to cover up for the incompetency of a lot of, uh, of leaders at the federal level. And what Stuart's touching into is like, it's sort of refreshing and amazing when government does work for you, right? When, 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 when you can just mm. really reflect on the fact that like DC's having a boring news day where we're not checking Twitter for the latest, um, disgusting tweet from a hate filled person. Um, that leaves you bandwidth. That gives you the emotional bandwidth to dream about um, a future ahead. You know, I think a lot of people were really traumatized from the last year. And what trauma does is it steals your ability to think about the future. It steals your ability to, to dream because so much of how trauma manifests is you become presently anxious about things that have happened to you in the past. We know this as a queer community. We know the impact of trauma from when we had to confront and deal with a federal government that didn't show up for us during the HIV AIDS crisis, a federal government that didn't show up for us when, when uh, hate crimes against gay and lesbian individuals were not um, properly resourced. And we're seeing that now with just how rampant anti-trans um, legislation is being rammed through local state at local and state legislatures. Like we, we now have an effective community response that prevents the trauma from impacting our communities because we can show up as a collective more quickly. We mobilize and organize after we agonize. And that's really the role that the queer community has always and will always take leadership on. We agonize and then we organize, right? Out of the bars into the streets is what we've been taught by our elders. And um, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to show up for people who are closest to harm. We're going to protect them from violence. And then we're going to hold those accountable for, for thinking that they can get away with um, exacting harm and violence on our communities. That's a great point. And, you know, there's infinite forms of showing up, right? And in terms of supporting the community and San Francisco small business, there's one form that's kind of roared back to the forefront, and that is indoor dining. And I'm wondering if you yourself are at this phase comfortable with indoor dining. And before you answer, I will just volunteer that I am not. And I will freely volunteer that I am not comfortable with indoor dining, you know, and this is um, a, for a number of reasons, primarily for solidarity for all of the workers who make restaurants and bar spaces possible. Like I am going to commit my energy to um, making accessible resources, both testing and vaccination to food workers before I unknowingly um, uh, participate in community transmission of COVID. Like I just, you know, at this point, like I'm going to support my food businesses by ordering takeout, uh, by supporting um, outdoor dining where uh, community transmission is much lower um, so that there's um, so I don't feel like I am contributing personally to the pressure of operating indoors. I know that restaurant operators um, have to uh, consider many um, factors 
in determining whether or not they want to open for indoor dining. And um, I, I have confidence and faith that operators in San Francisco um, are, are really taking as many precautions as possible to make indoor dining safe. Um, it's just not for me. And, and I will continue to commit to supporting my operators as long as they, as long as they continue to commit to supporting their workers. And those are the operators that I'm going to um, uh, support. I am on exactly the same wavelength. I agree with every word you just said, but to just keep it like real positive for a second, you know, what's a recent takeout meal or outdoor dining experience or even like a parklet design that struck with you recently that you really liked? Oh gosh. Um, you know, the whole corridor of Castro between market and 18th, um, is so colorful. You know, I would recommend that, um, everyone in our community take a chance to safely appreciate, um, the effort that's been put into that corridor, you know, the, the shared spaces program has been wildly successful. So thanks to our transit daddy, Jeff Tumlin at MTA, uh, uh, um, for making that possible. Um, you know, I would encourage all of our listeners to really take advantage of shared spaces, especially, um, in the Castro on the weekends, you know, those operators are, are, are busting their ass and they're behind to create a safe outdoor experience for individuals. Um, um, in terms of specific operators, um, the Pilsner Inn, um, God bless the Irish bartenders that are now, that are, that are behind the bar at the Pilsner and working in partnership with uh, Red Jade Cafe and Il Casaro. You can have your sesame balls with your martinis or your um, pasta and pizza with your uh, Manhattans. Um, so I would recommend that people check out the back patio of the Pilsner. It's a really safe um, and really welcoming experience that helps people remember the Pilsner back before COVID was a thing. And then out in the Richmond, uh, cassava is an incredibly uh, thoughtful experience, outdoor dining experience. Yuka and her husband who run that restaurant, they have this incredible pre-screening uh, website where they require everyone to take a survey. And if you do, if you do not consent to their safety measures, they direct you to take out. And I think that's really important. You know, COVID has really taught us that this is about consent. Like when you show up in a space where other people um, could potentially contract COVID, you have to have an explicit conversation about, um, the impact that your choices have on other people and whether or not other people consent to your behavior. And I think that's really an important and, and widening conversation as we reopen the economy and open up, uh, open up businesses that, that what I hope is that everyone in this community understands that consent is not just about sex, but consent is about how our choices impact other people in a non-sexual way in a physical way, you know, that your mask wearing not only keeps you safe, but it keeps other people safe, even after you've been vaccinated. And yeah, I went to the Pilsner with a friend last week and we, we got some pizza, but cassava, I, I have to go back to cassava. I haven't been there in a while. So that's my next meal. Um, one last question for you. You're also, um, how shall we say, a literal tree hugger, are you not? It's true. I'm a hippie through and through. I love tree hugging. <laughs> I think everyone should take advantage of the um, encouragement that we've received to be outdoors and really receive the wisdom of um, nature. 
you know, um, everyone's really sort of pursued their indoor plant daddiness and everyone should make sure to go outside and explore their outdoor plant daddiness. You know, trees don't have a choice through thick and thin, through rain, through hail, through snow. They have to stay put. Those roots are deep. And there's a lot of wisdom in these trees and just really touch into it and wrap, put your arms around a tree and imagine the strength and resilience that those trees have had to showcase through the hardest of times. And it reminds you that like you can get through some really challenging times because you are resilient and your roots are deep and that um, there's a lot to uh, take stock in making it this far through COVID. You know, we've made it this far through COVID and what a blessing that is that we have our health and that we have, we are sheltered and we have each other and um, we have to honor the memory of the people that didn't make it, you know, and really understanding again that like in support of collective and community well-being and in honor of the legacy of um, our ancestors who met, who have, who have, who have left us that, you know, that we really tap into the natural beauty that's intrinsic in, in all of us. And that's what tree hugging is to me is just a reminder that, that nature is powerful and we are resourced with, with the, uh, with an abundance right in front of us. Cheers to indoor plant daddies, outdoor plant daddies, and of course, transit daddy. (laughs) Vinny, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Your, your wise words are just wonderful to listen to. Oh, well, I appreciate you, Peter Astrid, and so much uh, love and, and, and gratitude for, for pride, for bringing together our community uh, for over 50 years. You, should, you all should be so proud, literally, of how you've um, created space for the community through, through hard times and great times. And I'm looking forward to many more pride celebrations to come. This has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my ever-astonishing colleagues, Chris Grafton, Rachel Jacob Barnett, and Shannon. This episode featured the always erudite community activist, Vinny A. Our theme music was composed by La Frida. I'm your sickening host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous. See you next time.